Good evening, Aidy. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well, Mum. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Yes. I'm not Good. Too bad. I'm glad to hear it. So I think right up top for this one, I'm, I'm not I'm not really into trigger warnings or warnings in general, um, because I think people can use their own brain. But we are going to be talking about grief today. I am going to be telling stories about bereavement. I know that mother's got some chunky stuff it won't all just be about death necessarily because grief is a multifaceted, very complicated set of emotions I wouldn't mm. even call it one emotion it's a, it's a mm. process a set of processes that can be applied to lots of different things in life but it is going to be a lot around loss and the emotions that come with that so if you're not in a great spot maybe come back to this one go and listen to the one with the stories about men wanking in fields or whatever yeah and come back to it yeah <laughs> unless of course you bereaved from someone who was fond of bestiality in which case um, we're very sorry for your loss <laughs> at which point just see a therapist yeah anyway yeah so the topic of grief has come up because Marv, you, you've recently lost somebody very close yes. and very dear to you yes i but, but, because it's lo- you, yeah, carry on. Yeah. Carry on. So, so I lost my brother, Rupert, the week before last, and he was, um, I was extremely close to him when I was small. Um, he went away to live in America when I was sort of just getting into my teens. But he's been, he was a remarkable person. He was a huge person, both physically and kind of spiritually. Yeah. And I felt a little bit like... um. If my life is a balloon and its edges are kept out with some air, slightly there isn't enough air in that balloon, slightly, that that a world that hasn't got Rupert in it is slightly hollow and slightly different. And so I'm trying to accustom myself to what a Rupertless world is like. Yeah. That's a difficult thing, I think, with grief from bereavement. So I, I was thinking about this a lot earlier. And I think the way that I would term grief to myself is the process of dealing with the loss of something that cannot be replaced. Yes. And it's that yes. because, I would, you know, you might not grieve a handbag necessarily because you can no. replace it you know yeah. you don't grieve a car well you, some people might grieve a car but it is that coming to terms with the fact that not just that something is gone but that a like thing can't be given back to you i i think for example you can certainly grieve relationships yes totally the person doesn't have to be departed no and it in fact i don't know so in some ways, one of the things that I do, which is very easy with Rupert, because he was such a phenomenon, yeah. that I am in danger of fictionalising my brother, immortalising him in fiction, although the fiction are just the retelling of stories that are true to me. But... but, but would that but, be a bad thing, though? Well, it... Uh, uh, it, I don't think it's a bad thing as long as I know that it's what's happening and that the Rupert of stories, people who people who know Rupert through the stories about Rupert 
have a different relationship with the real Rupert to those who knew him actually. And as long as I'm yeah. aware that that's the case, uh, and I'm not making stuff up. I mean, there's enough stuff. There's enough stuff uh, of just crazy, mad stuff. <laughs> um, you know, we we you could you could categorize stories about Rupert into stories of primary school acts of terror and mayhem. <laughs> Early teens acts of terror and mayhem. Yeah, uh, and late teens wider world of terror and mayhem and, and, and there's terror and mayhem i'm getting the theme yeah yeah and and um other than that you'd probably only be able to classify the stories through nouns so it would be the one about the wallaby the, the well there's of... nothing wrong with i mean friends had a good go at that yes 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 no, that worked incredibly effectively yes. so i think the one about the wallaby although you might get sued now by the writers of friends which would be an <laughs> awful shame the one about the what but 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 yeah but 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 um I suppose what I'm doing in some ways, uh, in some ways, I'm, I'm I'm creating the little stories, and in a in a kind of, this is a bit, poncy thing to say, but I'm slightly recreating a mosaic of Rupert. Yes. With little, tiny portraits of Rupert, you know. Yes. Um, and and then when you stand back, hopefully somebody would say, "Well, I didn't know him, but he was like this." Yeah. Well, I think that fits very well, doesn't it? Because none of us is made up of one personality trait or one way right. of being. We are all lots of little people in, yes. in the shape yes. of a big person. Yes. Uh, and some of us, you know, we you go through life and you might not ever see all of one person's little people no. because they come out situationally in different ways. So I think that if you're going to portray a person and try and show them in their entirety as much as that's possible. I, I think that that's the way that you have to approach it. Is yes. it those lots of little bits that give you a sense of the um, the Fibonacci sequence of that human, the sum of their parts, you know? Yes, 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 yes. That Yeah, that makes, that does make sense. And one of the things that then I'd say about bereavement grief, which may be counterintuitive, if you're grieving for a relationship where yeah. the person is still alive, yeah, but the dream that you had has died, yeah. yeah, sometimes the problem with that is that you are filled with regret and um, you can go over the things that could have happened. Now, yes, part of me is full of regret. Because I was thinking to myself, I could have gone over to America this summer and seen him, and I didn't, right? So there is that element of regret. But mostly, it's a feeling of sadness rather than regret. Whereas when you look back on a relationship that's failed, if you're honest about it, you've probably failed as well. It, a bit. Yeah. So, so... There's a there's an unhappiness about bereavement grief, which is which is unhappy, but not bitter somehow or doesn't feel. I was bitter. going to mention bitterness because I think a lot of the grief that goes with the end of a relationship, there is an aspect of regret, probably some resentment, mm. probably an aspect of some self-loathing that comes yes. along with that. Like, oh, that you might not 
really like the other person for a bit, but there there might be some of that process of why wasn't I good enough? What else yes, should I yes. have done? So it takes you off in different directions. I think that it it's very complicated with bereavement. Some of those things can come in. Um, the resentment aspect, particularly for me. So I've got a couple of stories and I, and I won't name people's names, but in my life, I've lost two very close friends. Right. One to cancer and one to suicide. Oh, God. And how I felt about that situation was vastly different because of the manner of death. Yes. And I think that that then calls out the deeply personal nature of grief and bereavement and the fact that how we process it is largely down to our change management. And I think the unpleasant realisation that there is an aspect of ego. Right. Yes. To grief and bereavement in that, particularly with the friend that committed suicide, I felt there was part of me that felt personally wronged by it and very Mm. angry. And there was an aspect of how could you? Yes. Which I still wrestle with today because people describe suicide as, the easy way out well I I can't imagine anything harder than ending your own life I think that's got to be the ultimate act of courage in a very strange Mm. way I don't condone it I think it's um but depending on the manner I mean if someone's like got a terminal illness or something but in in other situations it Mm. is a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem yes and I yeah I I think that what I'm what I'm saying is the way that we process grief also does have something to do with our relationship to the situation yes i think it does um i think suicide is a particularly hard thing because i think what that does is it combines the permanent sense of loss of death bereavement with some of the aspects of guilt that comes from the end of a relationship yes absolutely because um, I had a very dear friend um, who took his own life and I really struggled for a long time. Luckily, we have a mutual friend I was able to talk to about this. And I felt that I had not done everything I possibly could for him. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, I had some regret that I had not done all that I possibly could. And um, it was a real comfort to talk to another close friend of his. And we were both saying that we felt the same. But my wiser friend said, listen, we all feel like this. This is inevitable in this situation. This isn't, yes. this isn't, don't take this. This is something we all feel and all share, which was actually immensely helpful because for someone to say, don't feel it would have been no good at all. Oh, you're going been, to. Yeah. But for something, someone to say, yes, we all feel this was really helpful so i think that's a that's a combination of two things that you are dealing with a sort of numb sense of i'll never see this person again and then also dealing with the kind of actually look at yourself in the mirror what else could you have done totally totally and then there's the anger that does come with it as well in the why did you do that yeah as well as the why didn't I do something yeah yes could I have done something and then the process of going back and thinking would that have been a time should I have gone around then could I have done more xyz and and that is a difficult thing to confront and and 
ultimately unknowable because the only person who can tell us what could have been done differently isn't around to share yeah yeah it could be I, I think in some circumstances there isn't anything anyone could have done no sometimes you might think that's the case but you might not be right right so no no I think also you mentioned egoism and yes. the the egoism that comes um in grief and I must say a couple of times in the last 10 days um I was at a meeting last night which was nothing to do with anything personal it was like a community thing and I really strongly felt like marching to the front before I stayed my said my piece and saying give me no crap my brother's dead yeah yeah and I realized that I was at the risk of using grief like shotgun mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. weaponized emotion is a thing that i think we can fall into without bad intent and or trying to be wicked yeah and and this is something i've thought of a lot because i'm i'm a, what i am at the moment is a little bit off right sure yeah understandably and, and um I realised I was a little bit off. This is the most kind of absurd Catholic thing. Um, I took the sacrament on Sunday. Priest said, body of Christ. I said, thank you very much. Right. Literally, I've never said anything but amen in my entire life. At least it wasn't mazel tov or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, I went back to my pew. And I was thinking, that's a really good example of just being slightly off. I knew right, I was right, like you had the right intent, but completely out of normal behavioural patterns. Yeah, and and so this is where I am going to put in a plea. In Victorian times, I would have been queuing up there. I would have said he would have said body of Christ. I would have said thank you very much, and I would be wearing a black taffeta gown. He would. And he would have said bereaved, right? Yes. And of course, then they changed it. So didn't but gradually you'd go from black to grey, and then you could wear some dark colours, and then you'd have a little band on your arm. Oh, so you could yeah. you could visibly phase yourself out, so that yes. people knew um, I could maybe crack a little joke. Yeah. At this point, but you yeah. know, not not invite her to the other fella's wake. Or yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So. So I almost feel we should have some equivalent. I'm all for some sort of badge or armband. Yeah, um, so my friend came up with something really good this week. Nothing to do with breathing. Yeah. This is about dating. But they've made yeah. these little rings. I think they're called like a pear ring or something. And you've right. got a certain colour for your heterosexuals, a different colour for your bisexuals, homosexuals, everybody else. Yeah. And you wear that if you are single and interested the, in a chat. And I think that's marvellous. Excellent. Can I have a green one for agri-sections, please? I'm sure you get, yeah, because you can identify as that all round. Get onto the website. I'm sure they'll yeah. get you one out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, but, yeah. but, so what I, yeah, so, so I suppose what I'm saying is, is that um, I'm very, very delighted. People have been so kind and nice to me. And I've had that's even nice. ridiculous, unimportant things like nice messages on Facebook, right? That's good. It does. It does help. It does and, help. Always um, reach out if you see an opportunity to reach out, and if you're wondering whether you're sh you should or not, just do it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but I, 
but I just sort of feel like I'm moving through the world in a slightly weird way. And I would quite like to be able to wear an armband that everybody could look at and know, or a ring, and everyone yeah. know, dead sibling. And uh, funny enough, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday um, who also lost her brother, and her situation much more tragic than me oh, because God. brother much younger, right? Right. Younger than my brother was when he died, which is, you know, I just want to say I miss mine regardless of how old he is. But oh, yeah, younger, that, that is a... She's younger than me, and her brother was 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 really young, died suddenly. But what she said, and I thought it was a really interesting thing, was that she said, "It you can," and I think it's the it would be the same too for childhood friends, by the way. Yeah, people who you knew in your childhood, when they die, they take a little bit of their your childhood with you because you can no longer interact. She said she said she would sort of childishly quarrel with her brother. Uh, and it would be the only time she could childishly quarrel in that sort of way. And and so I suppose one thing that I thought might be quite interesting is is how do we do we give parts of our life? We have people who are big characters in our lives at certain times. And do we suddenly feel further away from those events if we are split from that person in some way? Yeah, I think so. I think so. There's something there. It's interesting what you say about the per, that person taking a part of your childhood with them, because it is almost like something is then is then out of reach that you could have still connected with. Yes, and now it's beyond a veil. And I remember a bit of this feeling. So I'm going to talk now about a horse that I lost. No, no, you're which talking about a, a horse. Puerile no, no, in, um, comparison, but but no. grief is grief, whoever you feel it for. Yeah. So his name was Slinky. He was my first pony. I was bought him for my 12th birthday present yeah. and he died when I was 24. Right, so when wow. he died, he'd been with me half my life. Yes. And through those real formative yes. teenage nonsense, uni, becoming a young person, um, and and he was incredibly important. And I remember when he died, for the first seven days, I felt like I could reach out and touch him. Right. And then it was the strangest thing. Once the week had gone and that seven days since the passing, suddenly then he was more removed. Right. But there was this real sensation that I could kind of reach out and almost pull him back. How extraordinary. That, that did last that first week, Yeah. So I, I relate to what you said there about them taking part of your childhood because it was almost like I got to that milestone and then something was then beyond reach, but I can't name what that was. Now, now this idea of being beyond reach is a really interesting one because um, amongst the things that I have found comforting, again, put in a box marked loony nonsense, but <laughs> a, a number of my friends, quite a considerable number of my friends, have and not all of them are Catholics by any means. Okay, okay. I've said, I lit a candle for your brother. That's lovely. And I sort of childishly, and this, this is terrible because this is, shows the extent to which some sort of meme culture is in my brain. Hmm. I want to do a map of the world and put little candles on the places where people have lit candles for Rupert. And, I think that's beautiful. Well, yeah, but it's also, it's also a bit... 
So I'm, 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 I've got a little candle list that I'm keeping. Yeah. I'm happy with my candle list. I think if I actually turn it into a two-dimensional image, I think I'll be pushing it beyond. No, I don't own. think you would. I don't think you would because what that is is a heat map of love, or if not love. Yeah, that's love. a nice way of thinking about it. Yes, it's, 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 and people were thinking about him. And while someone lives in memory, they're not truly gone. And no. so I think that's important for legacy. But also, people did that for you as well. Yes. yes. So I think that what they've done there, I don't think it's too extreme to put that on an image and say, like, that's where all the people were who loved me enough to light a candle for my brother. Yeah. I think that's gorgeous. And and the other thing, and this is, again, uh, again, the things that, I'm a I'm quite I'm quite good. I'm not superstitious, but I'm quite good at seeing a pattern, right? Yeah, okay. So, yeah. But so, that's a writer's brain, isn't it? So when I when I lit when I lit my candle, it was it just so happened to be right underneath the statue of St. Joseph. Right. And St. Joseph and Rupert were both carpenters. Got it. Got and it. And I just thought, do you know what? It could have been Saint Therese of Lisieux. And one thing my brother was not was a little flower. No, so, <laughs> he's a great big one. So, <laughs> so there was something. There was something quite. There was something quite well, really consoling um, about. I that. think there's those little synchronicities that sometimes can get us through a little bit. Yes. Because and look, who's to say whether that is a little nod from the spirits or whatever? I yeah. mean, some people would say that that's a sign. Some people would say that that's coincidence. I think the only thing that matters is how it made you feel. Exactly. And in that exactly. moment, if you were like, yeah, do you know what, mate? That's dead good. That's really appropriate. Then yes. that's gorgeous. Yes. And it's, again, it's that being able to reach out beyond and just put yes. your hand on someone again. Yes. Yes. And, and yeah, yeah. And that, again, comes back to the business about how I want to carry on. I mean, I've said to everybody, people have said, come and have a cup of coffee. And I say, yes, I will come and have a cup of coffee. But I'm warning you, there will be stories about Rupert, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and l luckily for me, and luckily for the people that I'm imposing the stories upon, <laughs> some of them are pure dead classic anecdotes that if you had only five anecdotes left to tell in the rest of your You'd life, want one of those, three of yeah. them, three of them at least would be Rupert anecdotes. You know, the one where they shoot the paper boy. Um, is, is, is you know was another classic you know and um the one where he rescued a drunk man who fell off a cliff brilliant i think you should i think you should write them kind of almost like grown up famous five style yes 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 i think it'd be excellent i think people would like it but i think also when someone is grieving if so if someone was grieving and i invited them in for a cup of coffee and they were worried about how many stories they were going to tell me my response would be no you tell me all the stories that you need to yes because it's really really important for us to make room for people to go through the processes that they're going through yes. because who knows when you're going to need to be given some room yourself yes. and lord knows i have repeated myself to people <laughs> for a great many hours over things you know some of them serious and some of my own making yes um that i'm always glad to do that for somebody else should they need to be a, a sounding board and i think that with grief like a lot of the profound processes that we come across as part of our human experience the only way no, not the only way one of the ways one of the ways that you have to get through that is by 
that process of repetition until you get your own head around it. Yes. Because part yes. of saying it out loud is what makes it real and makes it make sense and helps you to contextualise it. Yeah, and and also that gives you a perspective and you suddenly start, I mean, I had a hilarious conversation with Henrietta, um, who was very fond of her Uncle Rupert. Yeah. And um, I was telling her the story. Rupert, because he was so handsome and these were the 1960s and people did protect their children. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Not like now where they just flog them on YouTube. Yeah. He had, he had, and we were living in a small village, he had a reputation that meant that picking girls up from their parents' houses was only allowed by some parents, not by others, right? Got it. Okay. So he had his eye on a girl whose parents would not let him through the gate at the end of the garden. Yeah. And so he said to me one day, what are you doing after church? And I said, nothing. He said, right, how ill can you look? I said, I you can told look. us this. Yeah, look. I remember right you ill, told right? us this. This so, is brilliant. So, yeah. So, the, so that story, right? led Henrietta to describe, I may have also said this, led Henrietta to describe me as Rupert's wingman, right? That's hilarious. No, I don't think you said and, that. And the relationship that we had of chief protagonist, because Rupert, of course, is 20 and I'm three and a half or four. So, right, of course, right. he's the chief protagonist. Of course. But what You're was my, how would somewhere. I describe myself? I was too small to be a sidekick. But I think I was a wingman or a I think you were, well, you helped him score that day. So it worked yeah, yeah, out, did it that not? Was, and, and, and it was, you know, often, often to be said that, that, that if he liked his little sister so much, he couldn't have been so naughty, really. Right. Um, but it was, um, so what I'm saying is it was a really comforting thing to have that thing. So that was that then. So I'm looking back at that time and I'm saying, so those were the wingman days. Yeah. Well, and I think you could, I mean, that's an excellent name for a chapter all by itself. And I think it's important to capture these memories because human life is so fleeting. Yes. So if anyone is going to be able to enjoy those and maybe learn from them and relate to them, yeah, write them down. Yes. Yes. And actually, actually, Ola said a really nice thing or an interesting thing. She said, you talked about Rupert a lot when we were growing up and we got the right. idea of how much he meant to you. And right. he, she said, it just struck me. I'd be really happy if, if Gwen talks about me in the same way in the future. Yes, that's lovely. Which, which is, which was a nice, a nice, a nice thought because. That is a lovely thing. Because the, yeah. And then all of a sudden I've seen a lot of echoes between my life and my mother's, which I'd never seen before because of that. Oh yeah. Okay. And I realised like that to some extent, to some extent, my mother and I were in very similar situations, but I haven't managed to find my equivalent of my father. So she was on her own with five children. I was on my own with six. But she <laughs> found my father who said, ah, five children to be brought up. Now then, what we'll need is a large house and a place for a pony. Yeah. Yeah. And some children of our own. And a swing and a slide. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I'm i conscious, very conscious of my failures as a mother. And I look back and I think to myself, um, I had a really, really nice childhood. And I'm sure nicer than my children have had in some respects. But I'm sort of now saying in pleading uh, in my own defense that my mother was in a similar situation, but she actually happily encountered a very nice chap 
who was a very good stepfather to her children. And that's that's really good and everything, and that's great if it happens. I don't think that I can really indulge you in any self-flagellation about the fact that you haven't found a compatible no, person. No. Because you're not your mother, and you are on your own life path. And I think that people's hopes and dreams and self-betterment don't have to involve romantic relationships. And the fact that you haven't found that isn't any kind of comment on you as a human being. No, but on the other hand, it would have been bloody handy. <laughs> I understand that, but like, being in love with somebody isn't because they are useful. It's not. No, no they might, no. you might be in love with them and they're useful. No. But you can't say, it... oh, I'm going to, you know. Yeah, it, no, you can't... no, true enough. True enough. You can't treat it think, like investment banking. I you had can't. to think that through. Mm. I had to think that through because. I understand that. Um, yes, because I'm not. I'm not sure that an incredibly useful man wouldn't be massively easy to fall in love with. Oh no, and they are. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong, they are. Yes, I have, but it's. I. I yeah, I just. Um, that's just something that happens or it doesn't. I don't think that it's something you can bemoan. No, and I must be very careful not to be so operational because, you know, I'm in I'm in danger of putting a you know, putting an advert out on the on the dating site that says, um, uh, you know, quite jolly woman with large listed house would swap eternal love for DIY. And that's well, I think it's there was a very similar advert to that written by Belle Gunness, and she killed lots of men. <laughs> You might not want to go oh, in the same Yeah, category. no, maybe that's not me. That's it's not what me she used what. to do, right? So this is back yeah. when they still had Norwegian language newspapers in America. Yeah. She was an immigrant. So she was like, got a farm, totally up for her husband, get yourself out here. And loads of men did. And then they found all their suitcases under the house. And she was just full of money. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, see, so she, she used to get them there, marry them, and mess yeah. around for a bit, presumably, then bump them off, keep the cash, and appetise to get the next one in. Now, now I shouldn't have a glint in my oh, eye. You've got a little glint in your eye now. I should not have awful. a glint in my eye. That's in 10 years, when I'm on another podcast going, I think I started this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not I'm not quite organised enough for that, I think. I'd be I'd be more tempted to, I'd, I'd end up, I'd end up with two overlapping and them swapping yeah. stories or something that that would be that would be a, a bad thing yeah that's it or but, leave the suitcase out in the hall or something get all those awkward who's this then questions but but i also wondered i also wondered when we're talking about about grieving yeah and i, I, and I suppose i'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm i'm quite interested in ways in which you know you were talking about the the different yous that you were during the time you had that first pony yeah, there sometimes is a bit of, and I and I'm I'm trying to differentiate this from regret, but I'm not succeeding hundred percent. Um, there is a bit of, of 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 loss that you can feel for the you that you used to be. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, and yeah. I think it's one of the reasons that um, I think it, uh, it's one of the reasons why. You know, we all we all have, have have got so many. Well, people of my generation, we've all got so many kind of friends reunited stories about two people who went to you know went to a school reunion and you know they fell in love with each other. And probably are not 
in love with each other at all, but they're in love with the idea of the person they used to be when they were 19. Bit of like youth recaptured. Yeah, yes. And um, and I suppose, how do you, how do you filter out that kind of, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to the person I used to be, and I'm this new person. Um, yeah. I think it's a bit more complicated than that because you never change all of your little people. No, that's day. true. That's Unless true. you have a catastrophic head injury or something, no, and at that point you've got true. bigger problems, like those people that yes. wake up with a French accent or whatever. So some of the... The little it's the most bizarre analogy I've ever yeah, come no, up no, with. Yeah, no, no, but I know what you mean. Some yeah. of the little people will be the same as before and then some yes, of them will yes, have swapped out. Are. So yes. I guess it depends where you choose to put your focus and it depends on the reason why you've had the change. So in an instance like grief and bereavement, something has happened to you which you didn't enter into willingly. That's why you're True. grieving it. Yes. Whereas when we go through development and personal change that's been initiated by ourselves, we have an entirely different emotional viewpoint on that. Yes. Because we're in our red hair phase and we're being proactive about yes. it, right? But what about those which things I think that makes the... happen? What about those things which are inevitable? Yeah but still not entirely willed. So ageing would be a classic example. Yeah, which, so, which I guess ageing yeah. is one. Yeah. So you think about the person that you were at 20 and you think, um, you probably don't think this nearly as much as I do, of course, but I mean, I'm touch wood, I'm very lucky. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much in very good health, but, but you are slightly conscious that the, um, I mean, I was talking about this to an old friend the other day about, about, um, in fact, getting back to Rupert. In my mind, he is 23, right? When anyone asks me how old he is, I'd say my brother Rupert is 23, right? And is that I because am, that's when your core view of him as yeah, a person is yes, formed? Yes, and yeah, like the way that the 70s are still 30 years ago for me. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. And and so um one of the things that's interesting here is about about whether we have our personal chronology uh, and so on. And I'm a bit conscious that I remain younger than my years. I'm thinking in my mind, not in my body, but in my mind, I'm younger than my years because I'm still the youngest in the family. In right, but you always will birth. be. <laughs> yeah, but I always will be. If I'm 150, yeah, yeah I will You'll still be. You'll still be the youngest. And yeah. although I have children, sometimes they seem, the older ones, seem quite mature. And I'm thinking, they're quite grown up. Um, yeah. I'm not saying I feel that I'm younger than my children, because that would be weird. But no, 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 but like the... The emotional, because I can remember my granddad saying this when he was in his mid-70s and he went, I still feel about 32. Yes, yes. So I wonder if that's something that sort of tessellates up, because I can remember being a teenager and at times feeling like I was still a child. Mm. And now that I'm in my mid-30s, yeah, I probably do feel about mid-20s-ish. I mean, I haven't arrived at the point yet 
mourning my 20 year old self because I'm, I'm 34 so it's just yes you know I haven't not nothing that dramatic has changed and also I was a catastrophically useless 20 year old I was a real late bloomer I was a real late bloomer kind of psychologically behavior wise physically as well and um personally wouldn't be 20 again for all the tea in China because I was useless so what were you like as a child then were you were you a good were you good at being a child I was good at being a child I was you know um fairly quiet very polite I was hugely scatty right I didn't focus well I was massively clumsy I tended towards accident and incident I tended towards upsetting people without meaning to because I just right. didn't bloody think right everything was always off somewhere else you know I had a, right. a, a, yes. a dozen magical lands all playing out in my head and not one right. single foot on the ground with what I was right. really doing right and it did take me an awful long time to get my act together once I did get my act together I turned out to be quite good at it and I'm pretty functional now and that's all okay but it was it was a process and it it didn't come naturally to me at all what was the process like I suppose we're going back to Maslow's self-actualization yes there was a lot of self-flagellation involved right and a a great deal of learning from fuck up right I think I was in the embodiment of the agile or the lean startup principle of fail fast and, and learn from it fail yes, fast as you go into yes, fail yeah yeah and, and giving myself quite a lot of painful feedback yeah it was it was kind of a do and learn so I I knew where I wanted to be and it was then a case of practicing the right behaviors so I actually copied someone for a bit right I copied my trainer a lady called Caroline Douglas who's still very important to me and a big influence in my life and I watched how she carried herself in the world yeah and resolved to be a bit more like that and then went away and got that wrong for a while (laughs) that's um, a a really that's a really interesting thing um what people do we choose but 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 what's fascinating there and I think my mother because she'd been very good looking right I saw her sometimes standing in front of a looking glass in floods of tears oh bless her she said I can't believe this is happening to me and oh, I would say, okay. what is happening to me? Right. Uh, you and and she'd say being 48. Right. And I was like, I can imagine I wasn't necessarily the child to, to who would share this. You know, um, so I'd say, well, 48 is better than dead. Or I'd you say something wrong. <laughs> or or I'd say I'd say in slightly fairy tale mode, why? Is something weird going to happen at 50? Like, she'd been allowed, she'd been spinning straw into like gold and was allowed to Cinderella. be... Yeah, 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 or something. And she said, no, 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 but I... She just basically said, I can't bear the fact that I'm getting older. And looking back on what you just said about, about moving out of your childhoodness into a more functioning stage, I've never felt like that crying in front of the looking glass thing, partly because I wasn't a good good enough looking to start with for it to be an issue, but also because I've always thought of every next thing you do as a development. It is. I it is. And I think that that example of how your mum felt there is actually a societal thing that has been yes. done to women that actually isn't done to men. Now I'm very quick to stick up for men because mm. things can be really crap for them these days. Mm. But I think the attachment of a woman's value to her looks yeah 
it, it has really, really done a lot of people over and has set some super unrealistic expectation and has caused some incredibly extreme behavior so there's a film called bullet train with brad pitt in it It, it, it's not going to like knock your socks off in terms of it's you know it's it's not deep and profound but it's a lot of fun yeah some very very well choreographed fight scenes and i recommend it if you need to kill a rainy tuesday afternoon or whatever there's a cameo with sandra bullock at the end yeah and love she can't move her face right Right. She cannot move her face. She's kind of doing these lines like that. Right. And there's no need for that whatsoever. Because guess what? Everyone gets older. Yes. That's just the thing that happens. And the processes happen. Yes. So for some quicker for others, some slower for others. But to tie someone's entire value to um to their physical attractiveness and how young they look is the most self-defeating principle yes and and i hope with younger generations we really do get away from that because it's toxic and it serves nobody imagine being miserable about a process that's going to happen to your body whether you're miserable about it or not also also yeah yes exactly but also you are right there is a double standard there and um i mean i'm in amidst all this russell russell brandery one of the things that has come up is, you know, whether a man in his 30s should go out with a girl of 16. No. And I would say that fails the double the age plus seven thing, so it's no good. Yeah. But what interest would he have in her? Exactly. Exactly. What's she, she going to say to him that's like, what have you got in common? Yeah. Or have you tried that new flavour of Fruit Loops, mate? Yeah. <laughs> but having having said that, having said that, um, you know, a, a number of my friends are saying, right, the answer to this is the age of consent should go up to 18. No, because like two 16-year-olds is a different thing. Yes, exactly. That's what, that, exactly. I'm That's... I'm disinclined with that because... Yeah, no, because we, think... can't make, we can't make rules for sexual predators. No, no, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. stupid. But, and I also think even, even the, I normally do that, you know, twice half twice your age plus seven whatever thing but if you were in a situation where you 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 did have a relationship with someone who was a different age to you because of the interest that you developed and, well, which and i the, did i married exactly. around 29 years yes, older exactly. than me yeah um there's nothing weird about that no but, but then that's two adults though exactly there's yes there's a yes yeah. yes so it's yeah. not it's not so much the age gap it's the it's but then this is this is it's the context between those yes, ages. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I, I just, I agree with you. I mean, I cannot think of how dull it would be to be in a relationship with a man of sixteen. What What would you ever do? Useless to me. Can't even make dinner properly. Yeah. You don't get any of my jokes. Yeah. And you've not worked out how, you know, any of the biological stuff really goes on. Because you get used to a certain level of competence. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. true. Yes. Yeah, so I've just, oh, oh, oh no. Mm, that's a really interesting question. We've, we've, we've strayed into quite a, a, a different territory here, but just we bear have. with. So for women, there has been historically a premium put on lack of experience. Interesting, isn't it? And for men, we would ideally like a bit of competence. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so in some senses, those are mirror images of the same thing. Um, and almost that those expectations almost set up the idea that you'd be better off with a chap a bit older than you because you might know what he was doing. But then the, that still doesn't mean that you would have anything to talk about. Yeah, because uh, exactly, because at some point bodies do get older and the physical side of your relationship will decline at some stage. Mm. So you need to be able to talk about something. Yes. And to have those references to get you through those times where actually sex isn't going to hold it together. Childbirth. Yeah. Illness. Yes. Injury. Whatever. Yes. You yes. Know, that common ground is important unless you do see the other person as an object. And that is very problematic. Yes. Problem very problematic and also um an awful lot of effort. A lot of effort and a lot of pressure. And I think that leads to situations like your mother's where she stood in front of the mirror crying over again. That's a type of grief. It's a type of grief. Yes. She's crying for something that cannot be returned to her. Yes. When actually she could have been like planning to move the rose beds. Yes, exactly. exactly. Or like just having a cup of tea and thinking, oh, sunny. Yeah. And, and the irony of it was that my father was a bit older than her. And my father was completely... Um, he would walk into a room, just take a look at her, and he'd, he'd gasp. Right. And he always did until right. until the end. He would just think, I can't really believe I... I, 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 I How have I scored this? Yeah, yes, exactly. It, this exactly. just seems profoundly unlikely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... um. She was she was quite smug about that in a way. So what I'm saying is she did have her own permanent tribute, you know. She, yeah. She, she had she had the fan, she had the super fan. Yeah, she Maybe had she that didn't there. have a crowd of fans, but she had but the can, super fan. Can the adoration of another person make up for happiness in yourself? No, it can't. It can't. No. So whatever no. he said or whatever another person said, if she or anyone isn't or wasn't able to look in the mirror and go, that'll yeah. do. Yeah. Then I don't think that that can be acquired from outside no. reassurance. No, true enough. That's Whereas you get up every day true. and go, nice skin, get in. <laughs> Which... <laughs> yeah. Which is the right way to kind of think about it, because I do think you have to be your own cheerleader in this life as well. Yes, I know this is a very weird thing to say. Um, and it's something that's actually almost more as I get older. Right. Um, I feel really smooth. Okay. I'm like an otter. Yeah. Right. I was going to say something so inappropriate. Yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine. It's just uh, greased up and ready to go. Yes, to the yes, my mind. yes. I just, I just... Yeah, and and I think to myself, you say, I know I could certainly leave a good deal of my, about a third of my body weight at least behind and all would be well. But on the other hand, I think to myself, as I, first thing I think in the morning, as I, as I sort of move the duvet away, yeah. I'm thinking... Aren't I nice and smooth? 
I think we need to normalize that. I think we need to normalize. Just give yourself a compliment every day. Yes. Yes. Just one little compliment and think, oh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's that it, it's like a gratitude journal and things, isn't it? Yes. But, um, to, to take your smooth, like, otterness back to the subject matter. Yes. What have you found to be the process of emotion? Hmm. And what's well, recurring and what's not been? Because I agree. Grief and recovery from anything, it's not linear, is it? No. It's and I very also, much I also think you you yourself I almost think that grief for one person is different to grief for another person. I, as in as in me being still the griever, but how I felt about my friend who took his own life, how I felt about my mum dying how i felt about rupert dying and um so each one of those has been a different a different process totally yeah? found the same yeah and so in a way although part of me says oh well i know how this goes i sort of don't it's almost like i know what a song is mm. yeah but i don't know if it's um green sleeves or i would do anything for love but i won't do that by meatloaf both are songs yeah and both related situationally <laughs> yeah but but um both are very different and so i feel yes. i feel a bit like that um there are some things in common the worst thing as you said the worst thing is if you feel somebody isn't having contact with you because of the fact that you are in a not great place because right. that's a real kick in the teeth I think it is yeah yeah it is and if you say to somebody um almost where were you yeah um and this hasn't happened to me but it happened to someone I know that they said well I, I wasn't in a place to deal with that and I'm thinking, well, and I was, you know, that if I'm the the the, the centre of this, um, I also think that one of the things about the reaching out part is this. Um, people say ridiculous things. Yeah. People in Montgomeryshire, for example, usually when someone dies, they make a sponge cake because okay. everybody. Everybody knows a sponge cake returns people from the dead. You know, that's like... <laughs> I've heard the, that before, actually. I the think goddess, they use the sponge cake in The Mummy Returns for that reason. Yeah, the, the goddess, the goddess I, Isis, when she was trying to put Osiris, Osiris back yeah. together, yeah, what she should just have done was stay silent. Yeah, anyway, anyway. In fact, I think when um, Christ was crucified outside the cave, they did find that little sprinkle of crumbs. They so, did find the sprinkle yeah. of crumbs. And... So, and I know people, it's interesting, I know people who um, don't know what to say and so don't say anything at all. Oh, and yeah. My, my um, point would be, if I am grieving, I am not going to ask you to come in through the door, be Oscar Wilde, dazzle me with your verbal expertise, be, you know, some glorious model of empathy all i'm just arguing all i'm just wanting to see is i want to see your face 
Yeah. Yeah. I want to see face. And do you know what? I wouldn't mind hearing what happened outside the beer tent on show night after I went home because it's nothing to do with my dead brother. But I wouldn't mind hearing who who kicked off by the burger van. Yeah. Right. Because it's the kind. And so I actually am asking please for some everyday stuff. And please. Just because you don't feel that you're a competent grief counsellor, do not stay away. Yeah. Yes. It's, oh, I think that's right. So I have real conflicting emotions around that kind of thing because there's the groovy part of me that go, wants to be like, you never know what anyone else is going through. True. And you don't know necessarily when, we don't know necessarily when we weren't there for someone else. True. True. So there's a part of me that does that and there's a part of me that goes if you want to be there for someone you just will regardless of what your own nonsense is. Yes. So actually let's not say that you weren't in a place to deal with it. Let's say you didn't want to deal with it and be honest. Yes. So those are my conflicting Yes. But, yeah, but also around that. But also the interesting thing about that is that it's saying it's saying, I couldn't make the perfect input to your situation. So I, won- I did nothing. So therefore I did nothing. Um, and that implies that my consolation would have been the best fucking consolation since Boethius. Yeah. And, oh. and you will not... You, you know, anything less than my greatest hits consolation album would have been not good enough. So yeah. that's making it all about your performative, performative consolation, yeah. not about my grief. And I am yeah. quite happy to hear who kicked off by the Virga van, because although what, that's not textbook grief, it's just something else. Grief, grief consolation. What colour you're going to paint the scullery just because it's yes, it's something outside of this. Yes. Mess of pain right now. Yes. Totally. Exactly. Exactly. And um, um, you know, I don't. And that, is, that is, I think, yeah. one of those lessons, isn't it? Because I, I've definitely said this before. I've felt this before, and I've heard other people say it before. That one of the difficult things about other people's grief is knowing what to say. Yeah. So if you're in that situation right now where you're not reaching out because you don't have the answers, know that you don't need the answers. Yes. Exactly. You can go around and be like, oh, I watched a curling match yesterday and it was really boring. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just whatever it is, just, just um, the important thing is to give that person your time. Yes. And your attention, as opposed to you don't have to bring quality because their life's already shit. You can't make it worse just by making a cup of tea. <laughs> I think the one, the one slight... Not exception to the rule, because it isn't to do with the third party. So I think when you're grieving, you can be quite conscious that you might be at some form of emotional deficit, right? Yeah. And I do have to keep quite a close eye on myself, not to attach myself romantically to unsuitable objects when I'm in a state of grief. Not just because I like to think to myself, wouldn't it be quite nice if there was someone in a check shirt sitting on the sofa and I could snivel? Yeah. Right. Um, and it, notice, notice it's not very specific. 
The shirt, the shirt the, is more specific. Than the, the bar's money. not been set too high. I think you could probably achieve this. He yeah. might not have any teeth, but you could yeah. get in there. Yeah. Um. And have you got the shirt already? Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be weird. Is that, is that the price of entry? Yeah. Hi, but, welcome. Put this on. So, but, <laughs> but, but my my consciousness of myself here is to say, um. The thought that I would quite like to have a n other male figure from central casting, yeah, who would say, "It's all right, he wouldn't want you to be sad, yeah, no, and various other various other hallmark card comments that this person would make, right I, I think so, you might be in love with the concept here, yeah, exactly so than... so so it's quite important for me. To be aware that what I've got going on here is a combination of, you know, a shirt you can buy from the feed merchants and a Hallmark greetings card. Yeah. And and that this is and that this is not the basis for any uh reciprocal romantic thing at all. I just well, I don't know, because Hallmark might disagree with you on that. I might be, I am I am better off, and I have done this, I am just better off watching um, Far From the Madding Crowd on reruns. I do, I understand what you're saying, though, because I think there is in any kind of emotional upheaval, but grief is a big one for this, a, a clutch for balance. Yes. And I think that that can be mistaken for genuine connection now that's not to say that that doesn't always like not lead to genuine connection no no there are some instances where it can yeah but i think that you know there's you can't and this is where i'm gonna sound really freudian now and i don't mean it like this if you're searching for the love of that person or you're kind of looking for the love of a brother oh oh absolutely yeah absolutely i mean i'm almost auditioning half the half of my sofa how many new stories about my brother yeah yeah yeah. Preferably yeah. wearing a check shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And but at least he lived up to it because I've also had a lot of situations um where people that have died have, who have been real gits, to be honest. And when they're yes. alive, it's known that they're a real git. Yes. But the second they're dead, they kind of get this weird sainthood. Yes. Vibe about them. And it's a bit like, but you you hated them. We all hated them. Yeah. Well, actually, awful. I, I actually once said this. Somebody said to me, Did you know that, you know. Dolores had died. Right. And I said, and went, Oh, yippee. I said, Watch my face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> and and um, they said, But they're dead. I said, mm. Didn't like them when they were alive. No. Well, they were odious no. alive. And, mm. and this is the thing. This is the thing. Um, De mortuis nil nisi bonum. Yeah. And which is all very well, but if you, I think one of the things about, well, thinking about grief, it's the loss of a real person, but it's also the loss of a fictional person. And that's maybe where this comes in. So I'm lucky because I've lost a brother who is a fantastic, fantastic character. Yeah. Yes. But maybe if I had lost somebody who was a lot more, um ambivalent in some ways right maybe i'd be editing him uh, and 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 so maybe what i'd be doing is i'd be editing this person 
for them to be a worthy object of my grief. I think that happens. I think that happens. I think, um, yes, because it's it's difficult with our social conditioning as well because of how we view death to stand up and go so-and-so is a real twat. It's kind of like when you get the victim statements on, on true crime podcasts. And yes. Things, and it's like, you know, Teresa loved kittens and I don't know planting rare wildflowers yes. and everyone loved her and no one comes up and goes teeth was a real bitch and it's probably good that she's dead but anyway we have to <laughs> investigate it yes yes it's just not gonna get that because once someone said it, it's, it's something about being beyond that veil isn't it once yes. they're then removed they're in this other place so you can't see them clearly i mean i i must admit i've thought very heartlessly sometimes that whenever a picture of a, of a, of a terrible thing to say but whenever a picture of a dead school child comes up oh they're always described as being so outstanding and i can't help thinking i've noticed this for at least the last 30 years and i'm thinking if all the school children in this country are so outstanding why are we not this wonderful country because they've now grown up presumably moved into leadership positions cured cancer discovered new planets yeah. yeah. It was same. probably just the same obnoxious eight year old that everyone's got with slightly shit handwriting. Yes. Yes. No, it's, it's obviously yes. the dead kids aren't cool. We, we don't. No, no, but but um no, but I suppose I suppose what if then you see, this is is this is another thing. Mm. So slightly creepy, hope I'm forgiven. Sure. I do like a good funeral, right? And oh. if if the Welsh had one contribution to the great world culture, we okay. give good funeral. We give outstanding funeral, right? Okay. And Better than I, the Irish? Are we going for a bold statement um, right now? I think funeral service, I'm giving it to the Welsh. Fair enough. Full wider funeral package, we'll give it to the Irish. Right, right, so now we need one Welsh person and one Irish person to invite us to their nan's funeral. Yes. So that we can give scores and settle and, this once and for all. And so, and I've also reached a certain age, so a lot of my friends' parents are, you know, no longer with us and so on. Right, yeah, got it. So I go to quite a lot of funerals. Got it. And um, I keep the um, order of service. Got it, okay. And I find that um, when I look at them, which I sometimes do, again, it sounds so weird, I sometimes look through the collection of them and what you realise when you look at half a dozen orders of services together is that there is a sort of cliché of grief. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones that you think have done the best job of capturing a person that you liked would be the ones where you really feel that in some way they've moved beyond those cliches. Yeah, okay. And I think maybe sometimes when people say they don't know the right thing to say, what they're almost saying is all I've got in my box for this one is some stuff that I know is a cliche. Potentially. And 
I'm wondering whether cliche isn't just something, if you're talking to somebody who's lost somebody or is going in some, for some reason is in a grief state. Yeah. For many people, the way in may be via a door of cliche. Sure. I mean, cliches exist because they offer broad strokes way to contextualise things and understand them. Yes. And to put things in wide buckets that we can kind of get and yes. are familiar. And what I, a cliche, I would say, is level one frame of reference. Yes. Yes. And then you go into the nuance from there. Yes. I do think as well, in the defence of people who maybe pull out the... I don't know what to say kind of thing. I haven't got the word. I think that as humans, we really don't like feeling helpless. Yes. And a death is something that, unless you're the murderer, a death is something about which no one can do anything. True. And I don't think we react well to that. I think that there's a powerlessness that can almost in a way feel like secondhand grief sometimes. Yes. And that frustration of, I don't know how to fix this for you. Yes. I can't do anything. And I think for a lot of people that then results in a kind of deflection and well, I'm just not going to deal with it. Also, also, based on recent experience. Right. The people who know what they're doing hug you. Right, yes. And yeah. sometimes the hug is in itself upsetting. Oh, my God. Yeah, because it's like um, permission to be weak. Yes. And um, I had a sort of double hug from a friend last night. And I was, I could feel the tears coming up. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah, And she gave me a double hug and I was like, (laughs) yeah. And, 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 um, but I thought to myself, what is great about this is this is a physical expression of something that you and I both know words would be tricky for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Um and the other the other the other thing that sounds really weird. So so I think sometimes sure the people who say I don't know what to say are the people who are in a sort of hinterland between, I can give you a hug. Right. I know a hug is right. Yeah. Right. And those on the other hand, who would feel quite safe on their castle of cliche. Got it. Okay. So they'd say, very sorry for your loss. Yeah. In yeah. the same way as they would say, stormy weather for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's, and so that that's okay because that vocabulary works at that level so i think it's that gap between i immediately know that she needs a hug and um sorry for your loss yeah yeah Yeah. um i've always longed to but i never have i've always longed to say when someone says in that sorry for your loss way um i've almost always longed to say well i'm not it's fantastic right. as far as I'm concerned, even though I've never been in that situation. That's really minxy, <laughs> But I just like to see, well, I suppose it's because I know someone's working off a script. So I suppose what I'm saying is maybe that, maybe maybe one of the things we need to try and work out is how we can, 
how we can say to more people it's okay to hug if you haven't got a word yeah yeah and maybe you'll find a word after the hug that that, that the hug might be a very good start or even just like a is there anything i can do oh, oh can i think you're washing do you know what the question tesco's the questions how are you yeah good answer is and I, I, it's an honest answer. The good answer yeah. from the person is an honest answer. But, but, or is there anything I can do for you? Because you then feel that's really nice. Yeah. I, I tend to go in with that now. And that's something it took me a while to get my head around um, that question because I always thought in that sort of situation that how are you doing? Just like, yeah. how the fuck do you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you've got to say something. But, but then that allows somebody to say, because the thing is, if you give them an expected question, right. they have the opportunity to prepare an expected answer. Yes. So you might true. get from me, you might get something like, well, still holding my own in the um, uh, in the league of cheerful bereaved siblings or something. That's the kind of thing that I might say, yeah? Yeah. But then that would be something that I'd thought of because I thought that's something I want to say to give me time to right. think. Right, and then I'll say right. something genuine. Yeah. But so so if you've got that prepared sentence coming at you, you've probably got a prepared sentence to come back. And all of a sudden the conversation is up and going. It's now up and running. Yeah. And so then you could say something like, I tell you what I found was a bit difficult was. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, or I would mm. say, which I do say, and I, I do really genuinely feel that I wouldn't mind a token that I could wear for a month. Yeah? Right. Yeah. That everybody could say, um, you know, um, um be be in a way Be kind. I mean, no, it's it's not so much even be kind. I tell you what it's a bit like. I, I've seen a car sticker that says autistic child on board, expect the unexpected. Right. And I almost feel when I'm in the current state that I'm in. Mm. That's sort of what I want. I want a little sticker that says bereaved mum, expect the unexpected. Like one yeah. of those reactive vests that they put on dogs that might do something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, and I I don't think I've well I tell you what, I was a bit snappy with somebody in a business context today. Right. Yeah, and I found myself, it was a warm room. But I found myself getting quite physically sweaty. Right. And literally hot under the collar. With yeah. This woman. Yeah. Um, she said, I'm not an expert in so-and-so. And I said, oh, are you an expert in anything? Which is oh. really, really kind of not. And not not <laughs> how I'd normally be. No. Um, but I feel that if I was wearing my reactive dog kind of symbol, it... It wouldn't have been quite so tough for her. Sometimes people just get you that way, though. And uh, I mean, I'm not a bereavement, but I've I've got some troubles at the moment because of some hormonal treatments that I'm having to have, right? Which can make me a little untoward. And I don't have justification of bereavement or anything, but I had a situation a bit like that where um, I just wasn't set up well for the day. Yeah, psychologically. Yeah, and there was. 
I posted something on one of the work channels. There was a bit of a discussion and this guy just came in and he thought he was going to wave his dick in my face Mm. and mansplain to me. Mm. Now, usually what I'd do is I'd write my reply three times. You know, the first one that just says, fuck off. Yeah. The second one that's almost appropriate. And then the third one that you can actually send. Yeah. And I didn't do that. I just sent the first one. Mm. And I said, thank you for that lovely explanation of what agile is. I'd have been in the dark without it. Ah. And then just went off because I also thought, well, actually, no, if we don't challenge this bad behavior from people, they're going to keep doing it. Mm. So it could be that you had a slightly ugly moment because you were not well set up for the day. Or it could be that she needed to be told a little bit. Well, you see, it's interesting you say this. It's interesting you say this. I sometimes think we're overly courteous. Yeah. And when we are overly courteous, we can be like people can be as a parent or a pet owner who does not give boundaries to their person. Yep. So so if you're working with somebody and you make it very clear, up with this, I will not put. Yes. Yes. My experience has been you can very often have a long-standing and successful relationship with them afterwards because they cease parking their tanks on your lawn. Yeah. Yeah. I actually said that to a chap in a work meeting once. Oh, really? I I, I went, he, he said, he basically made some demands. Right. And I went, oh he said what's that and i said that's the noise of your tanks getting moved off my lawn yeah and he said right i said when your tanks are off my lawn we will talk about the offer that you have made Mm -hmm. yeah but you will find that i will not talk anything yeah in these circumstances and and um uh I also think this is this is a this is a business thing of mine which works moderately. I mean it, if it worked better I'd be like a multimillionaire and I'm not. Well, but, you know. But, but I'm, a, this week. I'm a big one for vivid language at work. Yeah. Because I think that sometimes we um we make ourselves deliberately grey so as not to be in any way silly or unclear. Don't make waves. And what we become is wimps and yeah. and sort of unmemorable. Yeah. Whereas if we say, um, if we use an expression, I did I did a thing the other day. I know Missy, this is young farmer, so it's not a work context. No. But I did say, um, there were three lads that were constantly talking, yeah. and I did my favourite thing about what's on that jar, right. what's on that shelf. And yeah. they go, I'm pointing to an imaginary shelf. And they go, what? I said, that's a jar. And do you know what's in that jar? And they go, no. And I go, that jar is full of shut the fuck up. And I go, <laughs> and I, ta- I, I take the jar <laughs> and I bring it down and I say, this is the jar of shut the fuck up, boys. Oh, I want to use that. And I want you to help yourself to as much from this jar. Knock yourselves out. I'm leaving yep. the jar here for you. Have a yeah? handful. As much as you guys need to make it to the end of the session, just help yourself. Yeah. 
That's precious. And, I, I absolutely love it. And 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 I um, I do find. I mean, I I remember making used to make a TV program once, and there was a, the musical director was really struggling with the orchestra, uh, and um, partly because the brass section were just not listening, right. and I then. And I then said to them, So it is genetic then. Here's a jar of Rallentando. Right. I think you need some more from this jar. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want any more Rallentando, that's fine. But I think it would sound a lot better if you just help yourself just do as much. Just a little bit. Just a smidgen. Just a smidgen. So the jar, my 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 use of the jar. Is 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 my favourite? Oh thing. no, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I'm, I'm gonna try. I'm, I might not call it the shut the fuck up jar, but if, I might tailor it for the audience. But yeah, no, exactly. And I think that we do kind of normalise rudeness and bad behaviour in certain contexts because then we don't know what to do about it within the realms of politeness. Yes, yes. And as soon as there's a hierarchy, so I mean, my former boss, the one I think I spoke about in the first episode, she was a real bitch. Mm. and the way she used to speak to me and other people and yeah. none of us would challenge no and I think that's a time of life thing as well because I was what very early 30s late 20s yeah. so not quite where I am now which would yes. be just to here's your pass and laptop goodbye yes don't do that to me again whereas uh, these days I just think no if you don't call out the rudeness these people won't learn and they're going to think that they can carry on and we live now in the age of the um I don't even know what they're called are they Gen Z post-millennials the poor little bastards that are going to inherit the earth and actually they've got this whole thing about treating each other nicely and everyone behaving right and acting proper and my god does that upset the boomers something chronic said what life should be easier than it was for us what it's interesting you say that because i've got a theory about you know i'm 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 um, my my parish my square mile is the love yes. of my life yeah and i think it's the best place in the world one of the reasons and i'm glad it, you do yeah and one of the reasons why i think it is the best place one of the best places in the world is because almost everybody is self-employed right so, so the only person that can tell them off is themselves or possibly their dad if he's still alive, right? Yeah, okay. Um, and so what happens is that everybody is not accustomed to being spoken to like dirt. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so got it. it's not that people have got short fuses, but they've got high expectations. Yeah, which is right, you know, because no one's station it, it makes them exempt from behaving properly. Yeah. It's like, why are you, oh, who died and made you king? Would be right. a very common, a very common expression. Yeah. 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 Keep about well, it. It's kind of very old fashioned view that you've somehow got to subjugate people to make them do anything useful. And it's just not the case. Well, well, you see, I think it's interesting. I think this, well, so types of leadership, yeah? Yeah. There's the type of leadership which says to somebody, I trust you, let's make you the best you you can be. Yeah. And there's the type of leadership that says, I don't trust you, I'll bully you to stop you being a fucker. Right. And just in, dominate my way through the yes, situation. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I will. So I will. And then those people tend to micromanage. 
they tend not to be very good at, for example, succession planning. Right. Because or they're just, always, yeah, giving you know, over any kind so of control. So having destroyed the whole layer under them, <gasps> they then yeah. say, why do I never have anyone taking it? Well, that's it, because they kind of hand, hand down that systematic incompetence that comes with dictating someone's every move. Yes. And then, of course, the whole thing doesn't function. Everyone gets very disempowered and no yeah. one is enthusiastic anymore because they know they can't have an original idea because the second they show any kind of personality, it's going to get squashed anyway. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, whereas, I'm actually, I don't think I've ever told you this story, but I think it's it it it, it, it may be quite intriguing. Um, my uncle Robbie, who was for his sins deputy um, commander in chief of NATO, Ooh, he used okay, to have yeah. to manage troops from different countries. Okay, and he was from the Netherlands, where at the time they had universal. They still had universal um, uh, national service. Got it. So the sort of people who were in their armed forces were not necessarily people who were interested in making a professional army career, right? No, they were just, they had to be there. And he has, Robbie was a huge um, fan of Britain and everything to do with Britain. Oh, okay. But But the one thing he would say he didn't quite get is the attitude that the British Army people that he worked with had towards right. orders and how they should be obeyed, right? Okay, that's so, interesting. Um, he said, if I have 10 British soldiers and 10 Dutch soldiers on the side of a river, right, and I shout to them all, cross the river. right. The first thing the British soldiers do is walk straight into the river. Just jump, yeah. Boots on, um, guns wet, etc. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The first thing the Dutch, 10 Dutch soldiers will do, they'll get into a little huddle and discuss what they need to do to cross the river. Mm -hmm. Then they'll usually take their shoes, socks, and trousers off. All that sensible stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then they'll be, they'll regroup on the other side of the river and um, they'll be making little plans. They'll be saying things like, I found this leaf, it's quite good for drying your feet. Yeah. Right. Whereas the British are just standing there soaking wet. Soaking wet. Yeah. And, but he said the thing is, the thing is, um, if he had to take 10 people, in an under fire situation when we're probably outnumbered in an urban warfare situation. Yeah. I'm not really sure I want lads to get together in a little group and say what's the most sensible. No, way you to want do someone this. that's gonna get on and bloody do I something. just want people, I'm gonna say, well, cut in we go, lads, and they're gonna go, ah, ah come on then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, um, so exactly. his idea his idea was um there were different types of, of leadership and sometimes you did the Dutch, he said, had too much of an emphasis on initiative, and the British had too little. Yeah, so and we needed was, the Goldilocks amount of initiative. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. That's a. There's another chap who I would say I miss almost not every day, but I miss every week at least. And again, like Rupert, um, 
somebody who there are so many good stories about, you know, and and um, so I sort of sort of say to myself sometimes, um, you know, um, in Henry V when he's going through once he says once more into the breach, um, of fill fill the breach with our dear English dead, and yeah. I, I I sometimes feel I'm accompanied by my dear dead. I feel that I've had some really interesting people that I've known that have died. And yes. I don't feel don't feel that they're very far away in a funny way. I think that's when people still have influence over you in some way. So not influence. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Inspired by them or they've done or said something that's stuck with you for whatever reason, then they are. Yes. Still with you, living out either through that thought process, that act, that thing that you're doing, or even just that memory. Yes, yes, yes. And that's true. That's true. And I think one of the things that I do then sometimes with the endless anecdotes, so in Robbie's case, it would be that the one about when he held up the entire tram system. Yeah, the time when he held up the whole tram system of Amsterdam with white mice. Yeah. So, you know, just fill in the rest of the story yourself. So that one you do have to write about. So what is your, have you got a plan for recovery? Okay. So I had a bit of a thing about, do I go over to the memorial service or don't I? Oh, yeah. um, Money comes into it Mm. and time comes into it. Time that I've said I'd do other things in, if you see what I mean, I work things. But fortune favours the brave. It certainly does. So I found out on Wednesday when the memorial service was, and I spoke to Henrietta, who knows all this stuff, and she said, you can get a visa waiver, it won't be a difficulty at all. No. Right? And she said in that very confident way that she says, we've negotiated that to make it straightforward, right? Okay, yeah. And um, so I went for a visa waiver. And when I got the visa waiver through, I then contacted my niece. And I said, look, I'm coming over to the memorial service. Right. Um, Because I found that none of my other siblings could do so. Right. And um, so then I then went uh, off to book my flights for the service that was to be tomorrow oh right? my god yeah but meanwhile sonia not just for me but for no doubt other sensible reasons decided sure. to put the memorial ceremony back so i then ended up with two tickets for tomorrow and had to change them but i've changed them and that's all fine yeah so um Having decided, so what's my recovery program? Having decided to go to the memorial service. And I'm really glad that you are, by the way, because I think it's so easy to tell ourselves that there's no time or there's this or there's that. Yeah. But that that's the kind of thing that you just have to make time for and that's it. Exactly, exactly. And I um, that makes me feel better because I am a bit of a ritualist. And even though this is going to be in a pub, yeah, which is ideal for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, 
rather than a you know any kind of official service or whatever but um i really like the idea that i'll be able to go there and yes and talk to people who knew him better in terms of his life when i didn't know him so well Well, that's the thing is that that's what's so interesting because you've got 23 year old rupert in your head yeah but there are people over there that know the little people of him yes you didn't see yes Absolutely. And you can get that round of view and find out about all those other bits and all the things that he did. And, and other people will have stories. And I imagine in some ways they might be quite similar to some stories that you've got. Or one of the, I mean, one of the things I think that's very, Rupert's a really, well, actually in some ways, Robbie as well. Um, Rupert and Robbie are both comforting figures in the sense that they are, they tell you that you can never predict what someone's going to grow up to be. Okay, yeah. Right? Which Perfect. I really like. And I, I do think too. if you have anything to do with children, one of the worst things you can do is to try and project some idea of what you think they're going to be like when yeah. they grow up. Yeah. Because actually they might be like completely different thing. Yeah. And they might want to have a little redesign. I think that's one of the yes. ways in which we pigeonhole people is by putting forward almost this view that you're formed and there's nothing you can do about that. Yes. And I think that one of the things that would be very interesting, for example, is Rupert was an exemplary husband and dad. Right. And that the boy that shot the paper boy <laughs> would not necessarily with a homemade gun would not necessarily have been predicted to grow up to be the perfect husband and father no and there's something very um lovely about stories about when people find themselves in the right place with the right people and their life goes well um it doesn't really matter if they accidentally destroyed an entire residential development by throwing quick quicklime over the roof of the buildings for example oh my god or demolished a bridge or whatever it might be yeah Uh and so i think it would be interesting to talk to people who maybe saw a more obviously grown-up side of him. Well, a different phase of his life. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, I think it will be, and I think they'll enjoy those stories very much. Yes. I and mean, I, I was that, I was yeah. highly, highly amused to hear some years ago that my nephew, Justin, because, of course, they've got rules in America about you don't drink until you're whatever age. 21, 21 a lot of places, yeah. And, uh, you know, Justin just couldn't this just seemed madness to him and um i'm not saying that he was ever a lawbreaker but there was enough of rupert in him to think what is this now yeah yeah so one of one of his things was apparently um rumor has it that he just go outside the territorial waters on a boat and have a beer there that's funny. It'll be interesting to see as well what stories they've been told about you. Yes, yes, yes. That will be that will be interesting. You know the his his stories about little Muv. Yes, yes. That you haven't heard from anyone else's perspective before because you know you've been seeing him as Big Rupert. Yes, the giant on his pedestal. 
and 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 I, there was some the particular thing about Rupert and I, which right. was, um, because I was so much on his side, really, right. almost nearly pathologically on his side. Yeah, there's, I, a, there's a definitely a worshipful element. Yeah, to how you talk about it. He would say, for example. What a man needs before a day's work is a fry and someone to make his sandwiches. Right, okay. And, <laughs> and my mother would say, hmm, yeah, well, interesting theory. And my sisters would say one after another, get over yourself. Right. right? <laughs> so five-year-old me is coming downstairs in my pyjamas, putting my apron on, over my to make the fry and the sandwiches, right? To make the fry and the sandwiches. Bless you. And he loved this so and sweet. paid me some money at the end of the week. Oh right, okay. So you were doing fine out of it. And then he used to be taken to work by his friend Lawrence, who was always called Bruff. Right. And a few mornings went by, and a few more mornings went by. I'd make them a pot of tea as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, after about. Remember, I'm about four or five at the time. Bless five, you. maybe. So sweet. Um, Bruff said, I have to do my own sandwiches and my own um, uh, fry-up because I don't have a sister. Right. And Rupert said, I know, I'm really lucky. And so Bruff said, well, would you think about marrying me? He said to me. Oh, he being, how old he were you? the age of 21. Talk about age differences and me being five. I said, I think that might work quite well, actually. Yes. So he said, okay, from now on, right, we're, okay. <laughs> we're, we're engaged. Right? Oh, bless and you. This oh. went on for some years, actually, my engagement. Right, together. okay. Yeah. Uh, and he was very um he was very sort of Jane Austen-ish about when he met a girl of his own generation. I made him. I made him one Christmas. I made him a patchwork tie. Can you believe that such a hideous thing existed as a patchwork tie? Anyway, um, he then said to me, "He haven't reached about the age of twenty-three." He said, um, "I have met somebody um, that's a bit close to my own age, and although oh, you got I, dumped at seven, I don't think she's. I don't think she's really the one for me. But I'm not really sure that I can wait another twenty-five years." <laughs> <laughs> and I secretly slightly relieved at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. because when you're really small, there's nothing creepy about it. No, because you, you haven't got that context for what that no. means. You don't know about any of the yeah. And and um yeah. so so he, he I said uh, so he started started this conversation and Rupert kind of hinted that Bruff might want to see someone. Yeah. And um, even at that age, I knew that no, no, nobody wants to be known as a cop blocker. That would not have been a thing. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't gravy. So, 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 um, so he started this conversation, and I said, "Are you asking me to relieve you from your engagement, bro?" He goes, "Yes." And I said, "Of course, <laughs> of course, yes, that's fine." And Rupert said afterwards, "When did you know that release you from your engagement thing?" I said, "It's on." It's on all the Jane Austen things. Oh, bless it. Oh, that's hilarious. Man. So I wonder, I wonder how much of that. So that, that whole early, so there's this whole early morning world. The only three people that were up in the house 
Well, me, Rupert and Braff. There you go. Everyone else, my father would have gone to work and everyone else was still asleep. So. Yeah. And I and I do remember that's an hour and forty minutes on grief. Oh no, tell it, tell it. Go on. Tell I do story. remember also, um, he would Rupert wasn't good at getting up in the morning, so I would get up, and right. I would then get him up. Right. And um, there was a there was a long period of a flannel being squeezed over the face, <laughs> but I did feel that was brutal. He didn't feel it was brutal because he felt it was necessary. But right. Actually, he saw it as yeah. I did realise that it, it just seemed bad to put a flannel over a sleeping person's face. It I, like... I agree with little you on that. I think if someone put a flannel over my face while I was asleep, I'd commit murder when I woke yeah, up. Yeah, well, also, <laughs> it felt a bit Princess <laughs> in the Towerish to me. It felt, yeah, it felt... yeah, just... But because he was so tall, his feet stuck out the end of the bed. Right. And so I started, like, pulling his toes instead. And it oh. had the same effect. It woke him up. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I think I'd still be pretty livid if someone tried that. But <laughs> but there so we go. There we are. Right. Yes. Good. I think well, we're going to have to wrap there because yes. I've got uh, another meeting at 8pm with my lovely Americans. But um, that was very interesting. And... I'm going to coin your cliche phrase that you don't like, and I, and I am sorry for your loss. Yeah, well... And I hope that you can find the art in his memorialisation and create something beautiful from this. Well, I tell you what I can't help thinking. When I was... I, I had this really strange feeling on Sunday that the world was rattling and it wasn't... It was like, if the world was made of, of Lego, there weren't the bumpy bits that held things together right it yeah. felt very untogether yeah and then i thought to myself well actually that's a real tribute to somebody isn't it if you think the world without them in it feels really unconnected disconnected yeah if, if their absence has shaken it that much yeah so actually that's then... kind of a tributary thing so so one of the things i've been doing is sort of saying sentences to myself the world right. feels clanking and hollow yeah right and just having said it makes it feel a bit better because that feels real then. And it's acknowledged. I think it's important for those feelings to be acknowledged. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So thank you very much. You've been the you've been the podcast equivalent of a sponge cake. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> so glad. I'll take it. Goodbye, my dear. Thank you very much. Goodbye. We'll speak again soon. Speak Cheers. soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.